Well, good morning to each one of you, and a blessed Christmas as we remember the birth of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. I want you to ask. I want to ask you to turn to Luke two in your Bibles, and I'm just going to preach one verse, Luke two verse twenty one. And I've chosen as my theme, from Bethlehem to Calvary. Luke 2 verse 21, from Bethlehem to Calvary. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we draw near to the throne of grace and mercy this morning knowing that we no longer draw near to a throne of judgment. For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you that the Lord Jesus became a man so that we can become children of God. Open our hearts and our eyes to receive truth, to see the beauty and the majesty of the Most High God in the face of Jesus Christ. And I pray that this message would be used of the Holy Spirit. Would you open hearts? Would you open the understanding of the lost that they may grasp the truth of the gospel and be lifted from the mud that you would set their feet upon the rock? Lead them to the rock that is higher than they are. And we as believers also lead us to the rock that is higher than us. Amen. So to many people, Christmas is just another nice story, almost like some Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale or the Brothers Grimm fairy tale. And our salvation really only begins at Calvary, they believe. But that is a wrong idea. It's a wrong idea because Jesus does not only save us by his death, he saves us by his life. And so according to Luke chapter 2 and this verse, our salvation started with the birth of Jesus. Because in in order for Jesus to die for our sin, he himself had to live without sin. We are all born sinners, according to Psalm 51.5, and we commit sin, Romans 3 verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus committed no sin, Hebrews 4.15, and Jesus himself was sinless, says Hebrews 7 verse 26. And if, if that was not so, and Jesus simply had to die for us but didn't need to be sinless, well, that would, that would be like someone who wants to pay your fine, but he himself has many fines. How can he pay, pay yours if, if he hasn't paid his own? So I hope you can see that Bethlehem is just as necessary as Calvary. And we cannot have Calvary without Bethlehem. And we cannot have Bethlehem if it doesn't lead to Calvary. It's like a lock and a key. They need each other. And really, Bethlehem then becomes the foundation on which the cross of Calvary stands. And we see this in Jesus' circumcision and also in the name given to him. So let's read 
Just that one verse, Luke 2.21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So first of all, let's look at his circumcision. Jesus' circumcision, and that is in verse 21a. So circumcision, some of the children don't know what that means. Uh, that is just when a baby boy, a Jewish boy in biblical times, he was taken to maybe a priest or uh, someone else who could circumcise him, and they would take his male organ, and there's a little skin on the front of the male organ, and it would be cut off, that little skin. So that was the procedure. And it happened on the eighth day after the baby boy's birth, according to Genesis 17, 12 and Leviticus 12, verse 3. And the reason for that is on day eight, I said this in last Sunday's sermon, uh, or perhaps the previous Sunday with John the Baptist, on day eight, the vitamin K levels in the blood is the highest. And so vitamin K helps to clot the blood so the baby won't go on bleeding and bleeding and bleeding. And the meaning of circumcision, well, that is the male organ, so it's the organ that is used to produce children. And so it's like God says, in the essence of making human beings. In the very part where human beings are produced, I want to cut away that skin where infection can easily take place and so on. And that becomes a symbol of removing sin from the heart, of cutting sin out of your lives. As Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 tells us that God wants His people, He wants their hearts to be circumcised, not only their bodies. Now, Jesus also, Jesus too then is circumcised on the eighth day, according to verse 21. And you would wonder, but why? If circumcision is a symbol of cutting sin from the heart, why did Jesus need to be circumcised? And I can see at least three reasons. The first, first three reasons. The first one is Jesus stands in our place. Jesus is in our place, so his circumcision becomes the sign not of sin that needs to be cut out of his life, but it becomes the sign that he is the one who will remove the sin from our hearts. He will cut the sin from our hearts. In Colossians 2 verse 11, we read the following. In Christ, you, were also, you also were circumcised, circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. So it's not the circumcision of the body. How? By putting off the body of the flesh, meaning by removing the sinful nature, by the circumcision of Christ. So it's Christ who performs the circumcision in our hearts. And his circumcision becomes a symbol of that. Another reason why I was circumcised, he needed to obey the law in our place. Galatians 4 verse 4 says he was born under the law. So we didn't obey God's law, but now Jesus comes and does it for us. And if he didn't obey the law, if he wasn't circumcised like God told Abraham and later told Moses, well, then he would have had to die for his own sin because he was disobedient to his father. He was disobedient to God's law. He, he would have had to be cut off from God's people. And so 
if he had to die for his sin, well, then he couldn't die for our sin. But now we know from the Bible Jesus did die for our sin, and what he did is he removed our sinful record. It's like he removed the sin from, our, from the, the book, from the record, from our, our debt has been paid, it's been nailed to the cross, Colossians 2 verse 14. And then that's, that's only his death. Speaking of his life, through his obedient life now, he provides the perfect righteousness that we need in order to stand before God, 2 Corinthians 5.21. So, so really, we should not only praise Jesus for his death, we should praise him for his circumcision. We should praise him for his obedience to the law. And then another reason for his circumcision is through his circumcision, he fulfills God's covenant with Abraham. Now, a covenant is like an agreement. It's like an agreement, you shake hands on it, and uh, let me give you an example, um, uh, a marriage. So if a, a man and a woman get married, they make a covenant with each other. And this covenant, this agreement is, I will remain faithful to you. They make a covenant before God and human witnesses, I will remain faithful to you until death do us part. And then they give a symbol of this covenant, they give a wedding ring, to say this ring has no beginning and no end, a circle doesn't start anywhere, doesn't end anywhere, to say, I will remain loyal to you to the very end. And then there's a sign of this covenant, just like circumcision was a sign of the covenants, so there's a sign of this covenant called marriage, and that is when a man and woman then sleep together, they have sexual relations, it's like the covenant is sealed to say, you are mine and I am yours. <clears throat> now, the same with this covenant God made with Abraham. God made a covenant, and the covenant was, the promise was, I will give you many descendants, Abraham, like the stars in the heavens and the dust of the earth, and you will be my people and I will be your God. And then as a sign of this covenant, a physical sign was that, as I said earlier on, that baby boys needed to be circumcised on the eighth day. And those who are not circumcised, they will be cut off from my people. If you do not cut off the skin uh, of the male organ, the little piece of skin on the front of the male organ of this boy, then I will cut you off. And you will not be my people. And then another part of the promise was, I will also... Bless all the nations of the earth in you. And we find this covenant in Genesis 12, Genesis 17, Genesis 15, Genesis 22. And now Jesus comes along and Jesus fulfills this covenant. He completes this covenant. Because Jesus, yes, he is the God of the Old Testament. Jesus is the one who made the covenant with Abraham. But now when he becomes human, when he becomes man in Bethlehem, he becomes part of Abraham's descendants when he's born in Bethlehem. And so Jesus is circumcised and his circumcision is a sign that not only as God, not only being God, he's part of the covenant, but also being man, becoming man, he's also part of this covenant. And as part of the covenant, or as part of, the, uh, of Abraham's descendants, Abraham's offspring, he now also makes all the nations part of this covenant, those who believe in him, by dying for them on the cross. 
And so if you believe in Jesus, immediately, the moment you trust in Christ, you become one with Christ. And if you are united to Christ, well, then you, like Jesus, also a descendant of Abraham. And we read that in Galatians 3, a number of times in that chapter. And so you too, you and I too, we now, we enjoy the blessings that God promised to Abraham. And, and the Lord becomes your God and you become his child. Now that couldn't happen without the cross, we know that. But it also couldn't happen if Jesus was not circumcised. Because if Jesus was disobedient at this point, then he wouldn't have been acknowledged as part of Abraham's descendants. He would have been cut off from God's people. And then the rest of his obedience would have been like an, an illegal immigrant in South Africa. If you've got someone who's, who's in South Africa, he's, he's here illegally, well, it, it doesn't matter if he keeps all the laws of the land. In the first place, he's not allowed to be here. So I cannot emphasize this enough. Jesus' circumcision was necessary in order for his death on the cross to be successful. So can you see, verse 21 is not just a throwaway sentence. Jesus' circumcision is not just another kind of ritual. It was necessary for your and my salvation. So there you have, from Bethlehem to Calvary. Bethlehem being the place of his birth and Calvary the place of his death. And if we want, if we want to benefit from the circumcision of Jesus and the death of Jesus, we need to believe in Jesus. It's not enough for you to just believe that he was circumcised. It's not enough even just to believe that Jesus died on the cross for sinners. You must believe in him. You must ask the Father... To accept Jesus in your place. His life, His death, His resurrection. And the reason some of you have not yet done that is because you think you are good enough on your own. You do not need Jesus. You really like someone who's covered in mud but he's standing in the dark. And you cannot see how dirty and how filthy you are because you're standing in the dark. And if you're honest with yourself, yes, you think you're good enough, but if you're really honest with yourself, you have to acknowledge that your heart is dirtier and filthier than some old farmhouse, a vacant farmhouse, but it's full of bats and rats and spiders and other bugs. The bitterness in your heart and the anger and the pride and the greed and the selfishness and the lust, and the jealousy, and the disobedience, and the racism, and the addictions. It's boiling in your heart. It's seething in your heart. It's simmering in your heart like in a, a witch's pot. And God commands you today. God tells you today, you are worse than you think. And yet he's not saying that to you. Because he wants to drive you away from him. No, he's saying that because he wants to draw you to him. He wants to strip you of your self-righteousness. So that you will not rely on yourself to get to heaven. And then when he stripped you of your self-righteousness, he wants to show you his perfect son. 
so that you can realize that Bethlehem and Calvary and the empty grave is enough to save 10,000 times 10,000 worlds of sinners. And so he can save you too. Even if you are the greatest sinner in history, he's able to save you. And apart from the fact that he has the power to save you, he's also more than willing to save you. And if he wasn't willing to save you, and some, some of you doubt that he's willing to save you, if he wasn't willing to save you, then Jesus wouldn't have been born. Then he wouldn't have obeyed the law perfectly, and he wouldn't died on, have died on the cross for our sins. But now he has done those things, so that you can see how much he loves you, and how deep he feels compassion for sinners. You have absolutely no excuse for not coming to Him today, for not calling on Him today to save you. Everything in His character and in His Word is there to convince you and convict you and compel you to come to Him. And that does not only go for unbelievers. That goes for Christians who are going through troublesome times, through difficult times, and you wonder, has God forgotten my name? Has God turned His face away from me? You need to see the blood flowing from the body of Jesus. In his birth, you need to see the blood. You need to see the blood when he is circumcised. You need to see the blood when he dies on the cross. And then you need to remember that he did it to save you. That he did it because he wants you to be with him forever. So then ask yourself, when you look at the cross of Jesus, when you look at the bleeding body of Jesus, ask yourself, do you still think He does not love you? Do you still think that He has forgotten that you are His child? A mother can, even a mother can forget her child, but the Lord will not forget you. You will not be forgotten by me, says the Lord. So that is Jesus' circumcision. Number one. Number two, Jesus' name. That's in verse 21b. I remember many, many years ago, a lady, she was in our church, not, not since I became the pastor here, but she was in our church before that, when I was still a student at seminary. <clears throat> but she, she said to me that what you call a child, meaning his name, the meaning of that child's name, that determines his character. And the reason, the reason she said that was because in the Bible you, you find sometimes that a person's name summarizes his character or his mission, the task God has given him. For instance, uh, Abraham, it means father of a multitude. So, so Abraham's going to become the father of many nations. Or, or Jacob means the one who grabs the heel uh, which is a symbolic way of saying he's a liar and a deceiver. And he was. And then Israel means he wrestles with God. And <laughs> he did wrestle with God. Um, Jacob's name was changed to Israel after he wrestled with God. And then all Jacob's sons, all of his sons, their names, the meaning of their names, it's got something to do with things that happened at the time of their birth. Or Peter, Jesus calls him Peter because Peter means rock. And he's going to become the one, the leader of the apostles. And the apostles will preach the message of salvation. And that will become the rock or the foundation of the New Testament church. 
Now, personally, I don't think that a person's name or the meaning of his name determines his mission or his character. I rather think it's the other way around. I think God had a plan with these people and then God gives them a name that suits this plan that he has. For instance, Peter or Israel or Abraham. So to give you an example in the New Testament, Jesus means Yahweh, that is God's name in the Old Testament, Yahweh or the Lord. Jesus means the Lord saves. Does this mean that, oh, the meaning of Jesus' name is the Lord saves. So did Jesus now become the Savior because his parents gave him that name? No. God told Joseph and Mary, call him Jesus because he's this, this is my plan with my son. He will be the Savior. It's because he is the Savior and that is why his name is Jesus. Not he becomes the Savior because they say the word Jesus enough or the name Jesus enough. Verse 21b, he was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, Jesus is his human name. His name wasn't Jesus before he was born in Bethlehem. His name wasn't Jesus in eternity past. So this is his human name. Uh, Jesus is a Greek name. And it's the, you find the same name in, in Hebrew, but it's, the Hebrew name is Joshua. You remember Joshua in the Old Testament? He led the people of Israel over the Jordan River into the promised land. And so now Jesus becomes the new Joshua, who doesn't lead us into uh, the promised land, but he leads us to heaven. And his name, Jesus, is the perfect summary of his mission. And his character also, or who he is as a person, is our saviour. So when we speak of the name of Jesus, I don't care if you say it in Greek or in Hebrew or English or Afrikaans, uh, the power of the name of Jesus doesn't lie in, oh, you must say it in Hebrew or in English or Afrikaans. The power of the name of Jesus doesn't even lie in the fact that you say it aloud. Some people think if they say, in Jesus' name, now they have some kind of magical power. No. The power lies in who he is, who Jesus is, what he is. So his name simply means the summary of his character, of all Jesus is and Jesus does. So the question is not if you say that name Jesus, if you take the name Jesus on your lips, because even unbelievers can do that, and unbelievers will do that, and demons will do that. On the day of judgment, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So... So they take the name of Jesus on their lips. That doesn't mean anything. The question is not, do you say his name aloud or take it on your lips? The question is, do you believe in his name? Have you called on the name of the Lord? Are you willingly to confess this openly? And have you done so through your baptism and through your personal testimony? Have you called on the name of the Lord? Or are you ashamed? Are you ashamed of confessing the name of Jesus openly and of associating yourself with that name? Are you willing even, rather, are you willing even to suffer for the name of Christ and to lay down your life for the name of Jesus? Remember name not meaning making the sound, but acknowledging his person and trusting his person and associating with Jesus with all he is.
Have you got a deep respect, a holy awe for the name of Jesus? Or do you use the name of Jesus? Do you abuse the name of Jesus when someone gives you a fright or when you become angry and you say, Jesus? And really you're cursing and swearing. Does it bother you? When people do this in movies, when they say OMG, or when they say Jesus Christ, not in worship or in prayer, but they're angry. Or have you become so used to people blaspheming the name of Jesus, it doesn't even bother you? What about yourself? Do you drag the name of Jesus through the mud because you call yourself a Christian, but you don't live like one? That's what an older pastor said to, to two people, a husband and wife, they had marriage problems, and he went to see them, and eventually he said to them, you are blaspheming the name of Jesus, because you call yourselves Christians, but you don't live like Christians, you fight all the time. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You made a promise in the Lord's name. In the name of Jesus I make this promise. I will take you to be my wife or my husband and I will be faithful to you. And now you're not treating one another like that. Jesus taught us to pray. Hallowed be your name. We should honor the name of Christ. We should respect the name of God. We should praise the name of Jesus, love the name of Jesus, pray in the name of Jesus, tell others about the name of Jesus. Is there a name given in heaven or on earth that is more beautiful to the Father than the name of His Son, Jesus Christ? Do you know any name like the name of Jesus. Do you know anyone who can even be compared with Jesus? According to A.W. Tozer, an American preacher in the mid-1900s, he says, God is not simply at the top of the pyramid of creation, as if you have these invisible molecules or parts of a molecule, and you can see them under a microscope, and then they write at the bottom, and then God, God is at the top of the, of the pyramid. No! No, God is, is totally unique. He's completely unique. He's completely other. He's completely different. So the difference between God and the highest angel is the same as the difference between God and a worm. Because the archangel and the worm are merely creatures. God is the creator. And so let us not speak of God. Let us not speak of the baby in verse 21, Jesus. Let us not speak of this baby as if he's just another prophet or another wise man or another human teacher. No, he is not. He is the eternal, he is the eternal Son of God who was born in Bethlehem and 33 years later died on a cross for our sins. He was buried and he rose from the dead bodily on the third day. And 40, after 40 days, he went up, he ascended to heaven. And now he sits as king at the right hand of the Father, and he prays for us, he intercedes for us, and he will come again to judge the world and make a new heavens and a new earth. Where is the wise man? Where is the prophet who can even dare to compare himself to Jesus? 
There is no God that is an equal to Jesus Christ. All the gods of men are the figment of their imagination. It is the work of human hands. Where is the God of any religion who became man to die for his enemies? Jesus is in a class of his own. And that is why R.C. Sproul, the American preacher who died in 2017, or was it 2018, said, I am sure that it rankles God Almighty to hear any human being even mention, mention Buddha in the same breath with Jesus Christ. Because Christ alone is sinless. Buddha was a sinner. And Buddha couldn't save himself, let alone anyone else. Muhammad was a sinner. And Muhammad never saved anybody. Only Christ is sinless. Only Christ has offered an atonement. Only Christ has provided redemption for us. End quote. Is this Jesus, this baby who was born in Bethlehem, this man who is nailed to a cross on Calvary, this king who sits on a throne in heaven, is this Jesus your Savior? And if so, then bow before him with the wise men. Bow before him and make the confession of the disciple Thomas, make that confession your own. As you bow before him, say, my Lord and my God. Amen. Our Father in heaven, Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, we bow before you. And we confess, Lord Jesus, with Thomas, as we worship you, we confess, my Lord and my God. Amen.